Thank you for listening to the podcast of Dublin Bible Church. But we are in week two, and, and kind of the big idea for this is kind of looking back at the first century church, and through my study, and I, I hope that, that this would kind of tempt you to study, and specifically the book of Acts, because that's kind of the, the history of the early church, but I'm taking this, this approach and, and kind of looking back at, the, at this history and saying, what was the significant difference with that group of people? Why did that message last for 2,000 years? I mean, why did it last? What was, the, what was the glue that held it all together? And you know, it's kind of shocking. If you go back and you sit and, and look at the Gospels, and then you look at, at the Gospels, and, and then you look at the book of Acts, it's kind of... It's almost misleading because in a lot of people in Christian circles, we think that the, the, that the cross, or maybe Jesus' life, was, was the thing that kind of set everything in motion. But the reality is, it didn't. The people's hearts didn't move because they walked with Jesus. Now they followed Jesus, and a lot of they understood some of what Jesus said, but a lot of things they didn't understand when, when Jesus did things. And then all of a sudden, Jesus says, hey, he goes to his fellows, and he says, hey, I'm going to be crucified. And then we know that he was crucified. And then you may, some people are tempted to think that maybe it was the cross that, that sent them on their way and saying, wow, you know, Jesus, our teacher, our rabbi, he's, he was everything to us, and he got crucified, and he's, he, he, he died. And is that the thing that sent the church in motion? And I have to tell you, it's not. Is it necessary? Absolutely. Was, was Jesus' perfect, sinless life necessary? Absolutely. But the thing that made a difference was not his sinless life, and it wasn't his death on the cross. That only perplexed them. And they were confused by that. But then all of a sudden, on the third day, what happened? He rose. And you know what? Even his resurrection isn't the thing that helped them uh, put together all the pieces of what was going on around those times. As a matter of fact, they were kind of confused. They, uh, many of them, they were like up in, in the upper room, and Jesus comes into a, a closed room, like through the wall. That's pretty cool, right? So he kind of comes in, and he, he communes with them in the upper room. And, and they obviously knew something was very supernatural that was going on, but they didn't understand all the complexity and all that was required of them. But then something happened days later. Something happened. That the disciples at this point, they're... You know, Jesus ascended, he went back into, into heaven, and all these things are going on. And he, he told them before he left, he said, hey, this, the Holy Spirit's coming. Hey, the Holy Spirit's coming. And they're like, okay, you know, what does that mean? You know, they didn't understand it. But then, the very thing that sent the church in motion, where the church became the church, where the truths that Jesus taught started to make sense, this is even before the New Testament was written, but then all of a sudden, it's recorded in Acts 2 that something happens with this group of people, these, these followers of Jesus, to where now they weren't, just, they weren't just spectators of the love of God, but now they were going to be participants with the love of God. And in Acts 2, it says that on the day of Pentecost, that the Holy Spirit came down by way of fire. And, and the people were speaking languages. And it was at that moment that the church began, truly, 
And when the church really started to understand, whoa, 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 I'm not just supposed to be, I'm not just supposed to be like a spectator. Like when Jesus was around and he was a rabbi and he was our teacher and, and, and they believed, and, and a lot of them believed that maybe he was God, but they didn't know, understand what all their responsibility was. And yet they, in a lot of ways, were kind of spectators and they were just kind of following after Jesus and Jesus, you know, walk along the shore and he'd, he'd tell a story or he'd do a miracle or a, or a parable and they'd scratch their head and say, well, I don't know what that means. Maybe he'll tell us tomorrow, you know, and they just kind of keep going and do their thing. But on the day of Pentecost, they knew, the church knew that they weren't just supposed to be just spectators of the love of God. They were supposed to be participants of the love of God. And that the love of God was not just supposed to be something that was all internal, but that was, that was something that was a vertical relationship with God that was supposed to go horizontal to other people. You know, we, we at the church saw a great example of this yesterday. I'm just going to brag on you. Yesterday, we had about 20 people who came here, and we, we gathered back here and made sandwiches and all these things, but about 20 people came to serve at the soup kitchen yesterday. 20 people. Look around. What percent of the church is that right now? That's awesome. That's the church that we need to be. And yet, you know what? Those people, and, and I've, I, I, I didn't have the opportunity to actually go over there because I had a prior commitment, but I've gone there many times. And those people in that setting, because I, I have experience with this, understand what loving others looks like. Loving others looks like going across the street to people you don't know, people you've never met, maybe people that, that you don't agree with everything that they're doing, but you go through and you say, you know what, I'm being transformed by the Lord Jesus and by the power that is at work within me, I'm going to let that love flow out to other people. We're not supposed to be spectators of the love of God. We're not supposed to just come into this room and just be spectators and we have awesome worship and we have awesome worship and come in and sing songs and get encouraged and all puffed up. We're supposed to be participants of the love of God, which means that it has to be more than what is in this room. When, when we come into this room, it is, it is merely an outflowing as to what's happened all week long. So when you come into this space... And we come in and we worship and we laugh. We have fellowship. We, we, we break bread and we do the Lord's Supper. We do nearly everything that the first century church did. And yet the reality is, it's not just about this room. What are you doing outside of this space? How well are you showing the love of God to others? There's a quote I want to share. It'll be on the screen. It's by a guy by the name of Francis Chan in an amazing book that I would suggest that y'all read. And the book is called Crazy Love. And this is what he says. Don't just cast this off because it's troubling. Don't just, when, when you read this, when we cover this, don't just like receive it and say, okay, yeah, now what? And don't receive it as far as, I don't even think that's right. Allow it to soak in just a little bit. And this is what Francis Chan said. He says, do you know that nothing you do in this life will ever matter unless it's about loving God or loving the people that God has made? Nothing. Nothing. The amount of money that you have doesn't matter. Your church attendance, in, in the grand scheme of things, doesn't matter. Are, are you welcomed here? Do we want you to be here? Absolutely. 
But by being here, it doesn't mean that you're saved. It doesn't mean that you're okay with God because you, 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 know, you punched the church attendance ticket for the week and now you're good to go. You sang most of the songs. And yet, the thing that matters the most in this life is how well are we loving God and how well are we being participants of the love of God unto other people. And I believe that he's right in this statement. It's troubling. You can cast this off so easily and just sit back and say, yeah, okay, but, I mean, really? But I would say this. Maybe it's because you're chasing worldly things. Maybe it's because you're, you're so bent on, on chasing after all, all of your dreams and living your life through your kids right now. Maybe you're so, so far and you're wondering what your 401k says. You wonder how big your house is and the house that you have. And yet the house that you want and the, and the future that you want. And the reality is those don't amount to anything. Or as my grandma would say, they don't amount to a hill of beans. But what does matter is how well are you loving God? And how well are you loving the people that he has made? Our scripture uh, for this week and then going into uh, next week as well is 1 John. Last week we, we laid the foundation and we said the, just the mere reason why we can love other people is because the Lord Jesus has loved us. And how do we know that he loved us, church? He died for us. And he, he has told us, hey, I don't want you just to be spectators in this thing called life. I want you to be participants of the love of God, extending it to other people. That the world needs the very love that he has put in us that needs to flow through us. He set the example for us to follow. He is the model. And he's the reason. Now this... If for some reason you weren't here last week, I'll give you a little bit of heads up as to what's going on. First John, it's near the end of your Bible. If you go all the way to the end of your Bible, you might have maps, you might not. But the, the last um, book uh, is the book of Revelation. If you go to the left, just a, a few pages after that, you will find this book. First, second, and third John, Jude, Revelation. And yet, John is somebody who was an eyewitness to the events of Jesus. He's somebody who, who didn't just like read it in a history book and say, wow, that was pretty incredible what Jesus did and, and write about things that other people experienced. He experienced them. He's the, also the person who wrote the Gospel of John. Completely different way of writing. Uh, this, this epistle, this is just a letter. And it's not written to like a church and like scolding a church and saying, hey, you're a bunch of sinners, get right. You know, it isn't like the Apostle Paul. Like the Apostle Paul in his writings in, in the New Testament, he was like very much like, wham, just direct, just like a hammer down on people when they were doing things wrong. John was, he was known as the Apostle of Love. And literally just in the, in, in the first epistle of John, in 1 John, um, Agape, or agapeo, the, the noun and verb form of that word that we talked about last week is used 51 times. And it's the second most of any book in the Bible um, outside of the Gospel of John. So a lot of people refer to him as um, the apostle of love because he explains what love is and, and he shows us. And yet this, this letter was one that was supposed to be just kind of spread throughout the church. And it was to do... Um, Something, the primary thing that it was supposed to do is we're really going to dig in today is to help people who are Christians to have assurance of their faith and say, what, am I, what does it look like to be a Christian? 
What does it look like? So we're going to spend a lot of time um, kind of uh, teasing that out this morning. So as we jump into our text, chapter 4, verse 12, this is what John wrote. He says, No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and His love is made complete in us. We used this verse last week. This is what we ended up on last week. And, and that, that word made complete is teleao, and it means to, and a, to attain an end or a purpose. Saying that the purpose of the love of God in us is not to just stay within us so that we can be happy and we can have all these things, but when God's love is made complete, it's when it flows through us. It finds its purpose in us, not just for ourselves, but for the world that's around us. Verse 13, we know that we live in Him. Now, I love this. We know that we live in Him. Did you know that you can know that you're a Christian? We know that we live in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. Finishing up verse 16. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. Now, typically, at this time, after we read our scripture, I'll go through it in the order that, uh, of the passage that I just read. But today, not to confuse you, but to build on an idea, we're actually going to go in reverse. We're going to start at verse 15 and 16, and then we're going to back up to verse 14, and then 12 and 13. So when I start reading this, don't nudge the person next to you and say, Preacher, dismiss four verses. Don't do it, because I'm doing it on purpose, all right? Please don't call me Preacher. Um, verse 15 says this, If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely. Some translations say, And we have known and have believed on the love God has for us. This is the idea, and these are three monumental ideas, doctrines, if you will, of the faith. Things that you have to know. You have to get these. I could spend a lot more time than what I have allowed today to to kind of build and tease out these three ideas. But the first one, I want you to just spell it out clearly. We are eternally secure in Jesus Christ if we're believers. We are eternally secure. Well, Chad, how do you know that? Well, I know that because of verse 16. And it says, And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. The actual actual tense there of those two verbs is a perfect tense implying a past action with existing results. Perfect tense implying past actions, a time that you have believed... And that you have known that the time that you you found out of who you were, that you were in need of a Savior, that you gave your life to Jesus, that's what this is talking about. These past actions, 
with existing results. With existing results. Which means even though you may not feel like you're saved all the time, you are. Even though emotionally you may be an absolute wreck, but you can recall a time years ago where you accepted Jesus, and yet maybe you've walked away from Jesus, but you know what? I have to tell you, He didn't walk away from you. As a matter of fact, the very thing that keeps you is not your emotional state, it's not your intellect, it's not your church attendance. The thing that keeps you is God's love and power. Somebody say God's love and power. That's what keeps us. That's eternal security. It's not because of what we've done. It's not because, well, I've attended church most of the time, and I'm a CE Christian, you know, Christmas and Easter Christian, and I've done these things. It's not on your emotional state. It's not on how well you fellowship. It's not on how well you sing songs. It's, not on, it's none of those things. It's because God's love and power, that's what keeps you. Eternal security in Christ. There's good news there. Did you see it? Which means you don't have to keep working for it. It means that you don't have to keep, well, I've got to serve it out now. I've got to serve it out. Well, I've got to do this. And, well, I'm not going to be okay with Jesus, so I've got to go serve it out a little bit. I've got to give just a little bit more money, and I've just got got to serve it out just a little bit more. And I've got to say, I've got to say no to my kids because I've got to do this, and I'm not making Jesus happy, and I've got to do all this. No, 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 no. It's not your love and power. It's the Lord's love and power that keeps you. That's the source of your eternal security. It's not because of you. Scripture to build this idea. 2 Corinthians 1. This will be on the screen. It says, Now it is God who makes us and you stand firm in Christ. Who is it? It's God who makes us stand firm. Although we may emotionally feel like we're just on, on shifting sand, like we're at the beach and the, the, you know, the sand's just been pulled out from under our feet and we don't know what to do, it is the Lord Jesus and His power and His love that holds us secure. Not ourselves. But it's because of the existing results of you having known and having believed in the Lord Jesus that now has the existing result of you being secure with the Lord Jesus. Can anybody say amen to that? It is God who makes both us, as John says, us meaning, hey, we're Christians too. We've accepted Jesus. All of these things, like we understand, you know, the day of Pentecost, Acts 2, all of that happened. It shook the foundation of our very belief in their very life. Everything changed at the day of Pentecost. They hung out together before that, but after the day of Pentecost, when, when they would, literally, they would meet together every single day. It says they met daily. Daily for fellowship breaking of the bread, which is implying the Lord's Supper. Because they knew that the thing that they needed to do was be around God's people. They knew that they they just, you know what, there was just something about it. There was just something about that experience that was holding them together. And they knew because of that day and, and all everything that Jesus had done and because of his life and because of the cross and because of the resurrection, but when the day of Pentecost come, it made all of the other things make sense. And now they had just stopped being spectators of the love of God. They were what, church? Participants of the love of God. But it's the Lord who makes us And you stand firm in Christ. It continues on. This is awesome. He anointed us. 
that He set us apart. Christians, if you're not a Christian, this doesn't apply to you. And this, this may absolutely seem like a foreign language, because it is. But I want to tell you, you're going to have an opportunity later to, to accept the very thing that I'm talking about right now. But it says, He anointed us. He, he set us apart. Christians, He set us apart for a good work in this world. Not just to come and sing songs. You don't, you don't show love of, love of other people just by coming into a place and singing songs. It's by doing hard things. It's by loving the unlovable. But He anointed us. He set us apart for work. He set His seal of ownership on us. His seal of ownership on us. And He put His Spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. And I believe there's much better things to come. But yet, did you see at the last part of verse 22 what it said? That He set His seal of ownership on us and He put His Spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. So the very thing that launched the early church was the Holy Spirit. The very thing that a Christian possesses now is what? The Holy Spirit. So the same thing that helped them understand what, what even loving God looked like and what loving other people looked like is the very thing that holds us together, church. It's the very thing that's supposed to be sending us out on mission. That we are eternally secure in Christ. And yet He's given us, He's appointed us, He's anointed us, and He's set us in a direction. He's told us, you know what, I, I have put my seal of ownership on you and I've put just the, the, the Holy Spirit within you is a promise of what's to come. So although you may not feel like you're saved, you are eternally secure because it is God who keeps you by His love and His power is what keeps you secure. It says elsewhere in Ephesians, Ephesians 1.8, it says, or excuse me, Ephesians 1.13, it says that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. That we're sealed, we're hemmed in. That we can't escape the Holy Spirit. That we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. But part of the redemption process in a believer is your emotions. It is your intellect. It is your experience. The Lord is wanting to redeem all of those things in you. And just because you accept Jesus in a personal way doesn't mean that all of your life gets put back together the same day. It's a process. It's a process. But we have the promise of God's Word and we have the promise of the Holy Spirit that resides in us that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. I just imagine a fortress with walls that we cannot climb with no doors or gates, that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit and we can't get out because we have known and we have believed. And the existing result is God's love and keeping power. Glory to God. And yet Jesus tells us in John 6 verse 37... He says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. It implies that not everybody's getting saved. Not everybody's getting saved. Everybody has a God story. But some people's story of God at, at the end of their days is one of fear. One of inescapable Guilt and shame because they didn't receive Jesus when they had an opportunity. And Jesus tells us in John 6, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will, what's the next word? Never cast out. 
because of His love and power. Not because something that you have done or something that you will do or something that you're currently doing. Now, I will tell you this. One problem with this in where we live, and this is probably the, my experience, it's very limited, but my experience, this is a big problem where we live currently in the South. Because people, they kind of doubt their own salvation because they maybe haven't had a true salvation story. And maybe they, they doubt other people's salvation because they see people who maybe one day walk with God, but then they walked away from God. And then they sit back and scratch in their head and they say, no, 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 I remember that day that you prayed that prayer with me and now all of a sudden you don't like the church, you don't like me, and you don't like anything else that represents truth. How can that be? Our experience cannot supersede, and it is, it is impossible to supersede God's keeping power and love. Just because you see or think or maybe you understand something doesn't mean that you have a level of understanding of the Lord Jesus because He keeps us by His power and by His love. And yet, Jesus tells us that whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. If you turn your life over to the Lord Jesus, are there going to be bumps in the road of your life? Somebody say yes. But yet, He keeps us that we are eternally that means forever. Secure in Him. And yet He's given us the Holy Spirit, something to help us in this life. But there's danger in this. There's danger in this because many people have this idea and they say, well, I'm eternally secure. That means I can live however I want to because I'm okay with Jesus. Not the case. If we're eternally secure and we, we, and we honestly sit back and reflect upon what, what the Lord Jesus did for us, it should be so compelling for us to sit back and say, you know what, I wouldn't dare knowingly sin understanding the, the punishment and the pain that was endured on behalf of my sin. Why would I do that? That's a big problem. And people then use eternal security and say, well, I'm okay with Jesus. I'm never going to go to church again. I'm not even going to do anything that I did. I made that decision in youth group, and yet that was so long ago, and now I think other things, and now I'm walking away, and I'm like, so, you know, I, I've heard all that I want to hear, and I don't want to hear anymore, and then all of a sudden, you know, you sit back and you walk away. It doesn't mean that you haven't known, and it doesn't mean that you haven't believed. So for us, we can't, judge other people, and yet we also can't go through and use the eternal security that God offers to us as an excuse for us to continue to sin. We can't. As a matter of fact, we should hate sin. We should despise it so much that we just kind of pour our life into God's Word and say, God, please redeem this and that and that relationship and the way I talk to them and how I'm raising my kids and the way I'm spending my money and how I'm loving my, my husband and wife. And how, I, I want to know everything about, I want to know everything about you and knowing that everything that I find out about you, I will, things will be revealed about my own life. But eternal security has never been an excuse to sin. Ever. Not for us to abuse His love and His power. Yet, see something else in verse 14. It says, And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Next one is salvation. 
See, what, what he tells us in verse 14, he says, and we have seen, so he literally did see, I mean, he was there, he was an eyewitness to the account, and also he says, and we testify. That means that he was a witness to the event. He was a witness to the event. In your salvation, your story of God, you are a witness to an event of when God saved you. I'll put it this way. October 25th, 1974, my date of birth. There was an event that happened. Steve and Vicki Zook had a son. His name was Chad. I don't remember it, but I was there. Because that's my birthday. Right? That was an event. They would be able to go back and recollect that time of when, when I was born. Fast forward a few years. I graduated from high school. Well, how do I know that I graduated from high school? Because I was there. It was an event. I can give a testimony to that event because it happened. Fast forward a few years. Well, actually not a few years. Within the same year. November 13th, 1993. There was an event that happened. I married the love of my life. And almost 20 years now, I can sit back and I can tell and I can give a testimony to that event because it happened. And because I was a witness to that event. You get the idea, right? Do you have a salvation story? I'm just going to spell it to you very plainly. If you don't have a salvation story, you don't have salvation. No story, no salvation. You don't become a Christian gradually. You don't... You're not born as being a Christian. It isn't just because we live in the, in the great south that everybody's a Christian because we live in the south and all the people up in the north are sinners. Careful, I'm from the north. You know? It isn't because we're the blessed people in the south and, and everybody born in the south and we've always attended church so then I've always been a Christian because I would say that you've always been wrong in believing that. Because if you are saved... That means that you can give a testimony to the event of your salvation. The day and time, whether it's, and you know, this is a great story. Maybe you're a little kid and you're at a vacation Bible school, you know, and you're like amped up on sugar, and then all of a sudden you're singing songs. Somebody gets up and teaches a lesson. It could be in any way, puppets or however. I mean, good night. What did the church do with puppets anyway? But anyway, I have issues with puppets. But, you know, and maybe a guy goes through and he gave this message, and yet the Holy Spirit spoke to you at age seven, and you go through and you say, I remember the time I was a witness to that event where I walked through forward when that guy, when that preacher, that whatever, my, my Sunday school teacher, he shared that message. I felt something warm inside of me. That's how a lot of people explain it. And I went forward and I prayed a prayer and I accepted Jesus Christ in a personal way. That's a good story. That's a rock solid story. You, that, that's somebody who was a witness to an event. Maybe you're at a, at a youth event and you just sat back and said, you know what? I was sitting there. The worship was incredible. And that was just, I saw things with a brand new lens. And the guy was getting up there and he was talking about Jesus. And I started to understand that I was a sinner. That I wasn't perfect. And that, that, that there was a separation between me and God. But then there was this time where I just, I felt compelled to go through and say, you know what? I need to give my life to Jesus. I'll tell you, rock on. That's a great story. That's a great story. 
That's a salvation story. That's somebody who was a witness to an event. You get it, right? What's your story? The worst thing that you can do today is to leave without a story. What's your story? You know, to me, he spells it out very clear in verse 14. He says, and we have seen and we testify that, that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. It's like we give, we're testifying to this. He's testifying about a belief that He has. About an experience that He had. He's an eyewitness to this account. What about you? Are you somebody who just, you've attended church for a long time? Maybe you've, maybe you've just kind of grew up in church, and, but yet you've never had that time where you sat back and said, you know what? I know that this isn't enough. I know that I need, to, I need to do something. Maybe you walked an aisle. Maybe you prayed a prayer in a seat. Maybe you haven't. Maybe you've been somebody who's been so inoculated with the gospel that you have not actually received it. You've just heard it so many times. It just seems like a broken record. And Jesus died for sinners. Jesus died for sinners. Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead. If you don't have a story of when you accepted Jesus, a rock-solid story, you're not saved. Please don't walk away from here without a clear story one way or the other. And I'm not telling you that, that I, I'm not trying to be the Holy Spirit and trying to beat you up with this idea and trying to make you feel guilty because the worst thing that I could do is make you make a false confession of faith. And yet if you know right now by hearing this, the Holy Spirit, if you know if, you're, if you are saved or if you're not because you are either, you feel the warmth of your salvation story or you feel the conviction that you're a sinner still. One way or the other. So what gives us a story? What gives us a story of salvation? It's not because we're witty. It's not because we're funny. It's not because we attend church well. We sing songs well. We go to, you know, we, we hang out well. That we do things well. That we serve well. It's, that's not even the point. The very thing, the source of our salvation is God's grace. It's God's grace. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says this. It's on the screen. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's not from ourselves. It's not our idea. Clearly, it's God's idea. God's grace, God's idea. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. We can't take credit for something that God did for us. It was God's grace. It's God's grace that gives you a story. What's your story? What's your story? Maybe you're an adult, and you've, you know, you've attended church a long, long time. And yet maybe in times like this where maybe you even come here for the wrong reason. Maybe you just come here to, to hear something like, you know what? Ooh, I just come to church because I want to know how to better parent my kids. Um, the reason why God wants you here is so you can have a story. Because if you have a story, then you have the Holy Spirit's power to help minister to your kids. Then you'll start to have the fog of your mind and the fog of your experience will start to be burnt off and you'll start to understand the love of God in a deeper way. That you'll understand that, that if you have a story that you're eternally secure because God's love and God's power. But yet the source of God's salvation is His grace. What's your story? What's your story? You weren't born a Christian. You weren't. 
You weren't born a child of God. You were made in God's image and in his likeness, but you weren't born a child of God, but you can become one. But you have to allow the Lord Jesus to write a new chapter in your life. And then that would be your story. See, for me, I got saved at 21. In and out of churches when I was a kid. I mean, I went, I've said this before, but I went to every denomination except Baptist. And up north, um, they actually don't have a lot of Baptist church. Go figure. Um, but they have a few here, right? Um, and attended about every other church, and yet I didn't have a story. I grew up in church. It seemed irrelevant to me. I did the, I did the whole Catholic church thing. I didn't understand Latin. Still don't. You know, all of these things, I'm trying to put to, put to pieces of, of, of my life back together when I'm a little kid and like being forced to go to church. And the only thing that was really good about going to church, some of the churches, they'd give you full-size candy bars, and they were awesome. But I never had a story. Never had a story. And it wasn't until I became a father that I realized that I was an orphan myself. That I had not accepted the Lord Jesus. I had not accepted my Heavenly Father as being my Father. I was orphaned by my own doing. And yet when I was 21, I asked the Lord Jesus to come into my life. And and to, to heal my brokenness. To save me. Did I understand all theology? Nope. Do I still understand all theology? Nope. I have the rest of my life to try and figure that out. And yet... When I was 21, I got a story. Because a preacher was, he was delivering a message. We had sang some songs that I don't remember. I don't remember the date, but I remember what was happening. I was sitting in the pew and kind of going through. It's like old school kind of church. But you know what? Old school, new school, it doesn't matter as long as you're preaching the truth, right? And yet all of a sudden, he's like delivering this message. And it was one of those things you've heard this a thousand times. But don't discount, discount what I'm saying because this is my story. And yet all of a sudden when he's speaking, it's like nobody else was in the room except me. And as I was sitting in the pew and I knew that I was compelled, that I had to go forward. How did I know that? Because the Holy Spirit was convicting me that I was a sinner and I was in need of a Savior. And when I went forward, I prayed with somebody and all of a sudden I had a story. Didn't have all the answers to the problems and and the, the quandaries of my life, but I had a story. What's your story? If you were to, if somebody at work were to go through and say, hey, are you a Christian? And they, and they would say to you, um, oh, you're a Christian? Okay, well, how do I become one? If your answer is, well, why don't you just come to church on Sunday? You need to stop. Because that's not the story. The story is the day and time where somebody is, who testifies because they have an eyewitness account of when Jesus came into their life. You get that? What's your story? You weren't born a Christian. You weren't. As a matter of fact, you were born far from God, and it's only through the work of the cross and because God's love and power and because God's grace do we have salvation and eternal security. Backing up to verse 12 and 13. Last idea. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another... God lives in us, and His love is made complete in us. I explained that a minute ago. And we know that we live in Him, and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. Big idea here is assurance of salvation. 
We have eternal security because of God's love and power. We, we can have a story. We can have salvation through Christ and because God's grace. Now, we can have assurance of salvation through God's Spirit. That's how we can have assurance that we can know, that we can know, that we can know. Am I saved? Well, first question is, do you have a story? Second question is, is your life bearing fruit? Spiritual fruit. We have assurance of salvation. We know, verse 13, that we live in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. God has given of us, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've accepted Him in a personal way, He has, he has put His Spirit within you. The very thing that held the early church together, the very thing that is going to hold this church together is the commonality of the Holy Spirit that Christians in this church possess. That's what's going to hold us together. It's not just going to be our fellowship. It's not going to be the songs that we sing. It's not going to be the cool events that we have at the church. It's not those things. It's going to be, are you allowing the Holy Spirit to work in your life? Because if you allow, get this, do not cast this out. If you allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life, two things will always happen. You'll always love God more deeply, and you'll always love others more affectionately. You will. So we have assurance of salvation. And here's, here's the, such the difficult thing with this. this is, we struggle with this because we live in a culture where we have evidence of how we're doing with things around us. For instance... You drive in a car, right? You drive in a car. How do you know how fast you're going? This isn't a trick question. How do you know how fast you're going? Speedometer, right? The speedometer it gives us pretty much instantaneously, okay, I'm going 55 miles an hour, right? And it tells us. And we're so used to that. I'm like, we're so used to this in other aspects too. My computer, my computer has thrown up on me 48 times over the last three weeks. I hate technology. It's out there. There we go. Everybody else loves it. I guess, you know, Jared, just you and I are on an island all by ourselves. And yet, my computer consistently for the last stinking two weeks has told me that you're like 48% complete. You know? Like, we really want to be at 100% right now, but no, we're just at 48% complete. You know, oh, we're still loading these files. Oh, no, 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 all of a sudden, now we're not loading files. We've stopped those files at 48%. But yet it tells me, at least I think I know, that I'm at 48%. This is how I'm doing. You're driving down the road. Maybe you're going down the interstate. You're rocking on. You're talking. You're singing your favorite song. I know we all sing in the car when we're by ourselves. I know we do. And we sing loudly because we're the only ones there to hear it, okay? I know we do. Some of us sing well. The rest of us just sing loud. But we're going down the road and we're going down the interstate. Every one of us, we, we, we know this. We can look at our speedometer and say, hey, we're going this fast. And we can kind of cheat ourselves. But all of a sudden, if you see red lights behind you, you know exactly how you're doing at that moment, don't you? Amen. You know you're about to do some sweet talking. Well, I just come back from church, you know. Hey, uh, start telling your story. Yeah, I got saved at 21. I was a sinner back then. And uh, let me tell you that, you know, and all these things, of course, I'm making light of that. But, but yet, we're so used to in our culture of knowing exactly how we are. Where, where do we stand right now? Where do we stand? Are we okay? 
I don't know. We're not talking. Does that mean we're, we're good? Or does that mean it's a personality thing? And maybe, I, maybe I'm the one pushing. How are we doing? We, we want to know exactly how we're doing. And it's the same thing with our salvation. We want assurance of salvation all the time, don't we? Does anyone else want that? We want to know exactly how we're doing. Okay, all right, uh, God, you know, I, I struggle with this. And I've never really had doubts with my salvation because I have a story. But I want to tell you this. If you have a story, you can have assurance of salvation. It tells us in, uh, in the book of Romans, this is going to be on the screen, Romans eight sixteen. it says, The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So this, this inner working with the Holy Spirit in our spirit, testifying, giving witness to the, to the account of our life and saying, hey, you're a Christian, you're a Christian, you don't feel like you're a Christian, maybe you feel like you're far away, you're not feeling peace right now, maybe you're having doubts right now, and yet the Holy Spirit hymns us in. Isn't that? We're sealed by the Holy Spirit. Isn't that what we read in Ephesians 1? And we're sealed by the Holy Spirit, although our emotions may try and trick us into believing that we're not saved, we are saved and even so, so important about this, we can have assurance of salvation. We can have assurance that the Holy Spirit testifies with our spirit and saying, no, 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 you're saved, you're saved. Remember the other day when you were about to do that thing and, and the Holy Spirit spoke to you and said, hey, don't use those words. When the Lord kind of course corrects you when, you when you're trying to go do your own thing, that's assurance of salvation. That's one aspect because the Lord's trying to keep you from making a wreck of your life. That's just one simple way. Yet we live our life, and, and we, want, we want to know instantly, how am I doing right now? Instantly. Am I, am I good right now? God, I don't feel good. I feel like I've made mistakes. Are we okay right now? And yet he gives us the prescription so we can have assurance of salvation in Galatians 5. Scripture that you are very familiar with. They call them the, the fruit of the Spirit, and the Spirit that resides within you also is something that helps us to have assurance of our salvation. Not only do we have a story, we, we have an eyewitness account of that day when we made that decision for Christ, that day in that moment, but then also we can have assurance along the way. And the list is love, joy, peace, patience. I said I'm out of order. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You know what's interesting about all of those fruits of the Spirit? They all have a vertical relationship with God. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. And they all have a horizontal relationship with other people. It's like we cannot be in a good vertical relationship with God and be in a in bad horizontal relationships with other people. It's just impossible. Because the very, the very thing that holds us together is the Holy Spirit. The very thing that, that testifies to us if we're doing well or not doing well as Christians is the Holy Spirit. And yet we can have assurance of our salvation because of the fruits of His Spirit. How well are you loving? What's your joy level right now? Are you at peace with God? Are you gentle with others? How's the whole patience thing working for you? Do you feel like you have any self-control? The work of salvation is not one for us that means all of your life's put together. I got a story, I accepted Jesus, and now, you know, 
Everything's taken care of. The reason why we have the fruits of the Spirit is so that we can rely upon those and we can say, okay, God, I know that I'm, I'm sealed by the Holy Spirit. I know I'm eternally secure. I have a story. My story is my salvation. And now I have assurance along the way because you know what? I'm not loving perfectly, but I'm loving more increasingly. I'm, you know what? I'm not joyful all the time, but I'm more joyful than I used to be. You know what? There, there are areas of my life that I'm, you know, that I know that the Holy Spirit's still working on, and I don't, I don't feel like I have self-control over those things, but I'm better than I used to be. You know, there's times where I'm just absolutely impatient, but I remember who I was before Jesus, and that guy was incredibly impatient. You look at the fruit of the Spirit, and all of those things, we're, we're not going to be doing those things perfectly, but we're going to be doing those things increasingly. We're not going to be doing them perfectly in this life. We're not. The, the, the work of salvation is one because you've given a story. The work of sanctification, the, the process of, of, of refining your life and redeeming, redeeming all of you takes a lifetime. It's setting you apart, getting you ready for heaven. And yet, the work of sanctification takes a lifetime. Salvation takes a moment of a time where you have known and you have believed. What's your story? Do you have a story? Is your story one that says, you know what? I grew up right here in middle Georgia. My, my parents drug me to church. I drug my kids to church. And now I drag myself to church. Or is your story, you know what? I remember a day, no matter what age you were, but I remember a day where I accepted Jesus Christ in a personal way. And I remember on that day that my life started to be different. That I didn't love, I didn't love Everybody like I want to, but I loved them better than I used to. But yet, because you were a witness to that event, and that you knew that you didn't understand all the theology behind it, but you started to understand that, wow, okay, this is amazing. Like, we all have something in common. All Christians have things in common. We may be of different ethnicities, different backgrounds, different whatever, everything else that makes us different, but yet, if we have the Holy Spirit, we have everything in common. Because the Holy Spirit is the thing that kept the early church together and it's the very thing that's going to keep us together. How well are you loving God? Before you sit back and say, you know what, I think I'm loving God. I'm rocking in that area. You can't separate these two. So let me ask it this way. How well are you loving other people? How well are you loving all the people that God has made? Hmm. You see, that sits a little bit different. That sits a little bit different. Because if we're in a growing relationship with the Lord God vertically, it will bear fruit horizontally. It has to. 